You are listening to episode number 33 of the Secondary Science Simplified podcast. I cannot believe that it is August. It feels like just yesterday we were grilling hot dogs and eating watermelon for the 4th of July, and now we're ordering school supplies and Googling dress code approved attire for another school year. We all come to the back to school season from different places. Some of you got the rest you so desperately needed this summer, while others of you were so busy with trips and swim team meets, you never really got to catch your breath. Some of you listening are already back in school and you're back into your regular rhythms and routines, while others of you still have a month left of glorious summer to enjoy with no alarms and no one telling you when you can or cannot use the restroom. Others of you are teaching what you've always taught, and you're ready just to walk in, copy a few syllabi, and dive right in with your students. And then there's some of you who are just now receiving your class schedules, and you're slightly hitting the panic button because you got thrown a brand new prep last minute. Wherever you are this back-to-school season, know that I am here to support you. This entire month, the podcast is dedicated to helping you make this back-to-school season the best yet. In the upcoming weeks, I will be sharing episodes with specific tips for teaching different subject areas, whether you're new to them or you're an old pro. I'm personally going to cover biology and anatomy episodes, and then I'm bringing in two special guests for episodes this month to help me help you if you're teaching chemistry or physics this year. But today's episode is for any secondary science teacher, whether you teach 7th grade life science or a 12th grade earth and space elective science course. I am sharing with you five mistakes that I used to make at the beginning of the school year and what I learned to avoid and what to do instead to have the best and most simplified year yet. So let's dive in. This is Secondary Science Simplified, a podcast for secondary science teachers who want to engage their students and simplify their lives. I'm Rebecca Joyner from It's Not Rocket Science. As a high school science teacher turned curriculum writer, I'm passionate about helping other science teachers love their jobs, serve their students, and do it all in only 40 hours a week. Are you ready to rock the time you spend in your classroom and actually have a life outside of it? You're in the right place, teacher friend. Let's get to today's episode. Before we get into the episode, I want to tell you something exciting. We've reached officially over 10,000 downloads of the Secondary Science Simplified podcast. And I want to celebrate with you because if you're listening, you are a part of that. And I'm so grateful. So to celebrate, I'm giving away a $100 gift card to the It's Not Rocket Science resource shop and an It's Not Rocket Science custom Arctic mugs. You can have hot coffee all school year or cold water all school year in that mug, whatever you prefer. So here's how you enter. I would love if you would share about your favorite Secondary Science Simplified episode on Instagram. So that's it. All you have to do is share about it on your story or on your feed, and then just make sure you tag me at It's Not Rocket Science so that I can see your entry. And if your account is private, you can just DM me a screenshot after you post of um, which episode you loved. So I would love to see. And then I'll randomly select a winner on August 15th. So you have two weeks to partake. And I would just love for you to enter and celebrate this big milestone with me. It's just been so exciting and so much more than I ever could have hoped with the podcast. 
Okay, now let's talk back to school season. All signs are pointing to the beginning of school year being upon us once again. The Target dollar spot, it is filled with school supplies. It, they had got rid of all that gardening stuff so fast that they had out all summer. And now it is just Crayola Central. And if you shop at Publix, you know they've got that little seasonal table in the front. And it is just stacked to the ceiling with Lunchables. They're like, it is back to school, whether you want it to be or not. And I don't know about you, but I will wake up in the middle of the night and I'll think of things that I need to add to my back to school to-do list. And I'm not even in the classroom this year, but my brain can't stop. My, my two oldest are going to preschool and I'm still thinking about things for them. It's like my mind and my body don't know how to not be in that back to school beginning of the year, borderline fight or flight state of excitement and adrenaline. But Honestly, it's some stress too. It's it's a lot. I personally love the newness of a new school year, but I also always feel the pressure of a new year just to be better than the last. Like I just want this to be the best year yet. And I think that every year, and I know that a lot of tension arises within that to make sure like I'm starting the year strong to set the tone for the rest of the year. Because here's the deal. If I'm honest, There are a lot of mistakes I've made in my teaching career thus far, especially when I think back to those early years. And in particular, I think of the things that I wish I had just done differently from the beginning of the year to make the whole rest of the year a lot simpler. Now, we can't control this school year and we can't control all the things that are going to happen. It could be the best year ever and it could be the not so best year ever. But if there are five things I would want to tell you to avoid to make your school year a lot simpler and easier on you, these are the five. And that's what I'm going to share with you today. So first mistake, it's a mistake to not start the year doing a bell ringer. Okay, so hear me out. In the first few days of school, you are setting the stage for the culture and the rhythms of your classroom, whatever you want that to look like. And so it's so helpful if you start training your students from the very first day in whatever procedures and routines that you want to become second nature for them when they walk through your doors. For me, one of those critical procedures is making sure that I start every class with a bell ringer because I truly think that a bell ringer, which I like to call a prime time because I think it's the most important part of the class period, I think that bell ringer is the most important procedure to have in your secondary science classroom. And it's so much easier to implement if you start this at the beginning of the school year. Give yourself the gift this school year of five minutes every class period to catch your breath, transition your materials from the previous period to the current one, take your attendance, and check in with students before you really dive into teaching. You can do all of those things if you have a well-implemented bell ringer procedure. Now, I know some of you tuned out the second I sell bell ringers because you've tried them and you hate them, and I get that. But what I want to ask you this year is, would you be willing to try again? Don't make the mistake I did early on by not doing bell ringers because they just felt too hard to always make them. Okay, you can purchase ready-made ones or you can make them each morning before school starts. You can sit down for five minutes, have a PowerPoint slide, and write down three to four questions there for your students. Keep them simple. This is how I made my first draft of all my bell ringers As I made them the morning of. I thought, okay, what did we do yesterday? What are some things I want to check in on? Boom, boom, boom. Not fancy, no cutesy fonts, just good questions to check in with your students that are simple and can be graded quickly. 
set the tone from day one for your class periods that you start class in peace and quiet so that you can get your mind right and your students can get focused. Go into the year equipped with all of my bell ringer strategies for success. I'm going to link in the show notes, the blog posts I have on this, and you can also check out episode four of the podcast where I talk about this in detail too. I promise you it will be life-changing for your classroom culture if you start your students in this from day one. If we train them that this is how our class starts, that energy will continue for the rest of the school year. But here's the deal. Our students aren't the only ones we need to train this year. We need to train their parents and guardians as well. And that's where mistake number two I want you to avoid comes in. I want you to avoid checking your email multiple times a day this year. Now, you may have just heard me say that and you may be thinking, Rebecca, that is impossible. But give me a minute here. When we answer emails multiple times a day, we train parents, we train admin, we train our coworkers, and we train our students that we are available all day, every day for whatever questions and needs that they have. And this should not be the case. What if this year you trained your students and their guardians and your fellow teaching staff that you are not available 24-7 and will only see and respond to their correspondence once a day? Here's what I recommend. Pick one time and stick with it. Now, there's going to be a learning curve, which is why I want you to start doing this from day one if you're able, rather than making the mistake of getting in the habit of checking your email multiple times a day at first, and then you start having to backtrack. I always personally, I like to get to school 30 or 45 minutes early and knock out my email then before the day starts. Then I'm out of my inbox the rest of the day, and I can just focus on the students that are before me. Now, if I ran out of time before school started, sometimes I would do a brief follow-up during lunchtime just to make sure I hit all those other emails that I didn't get to, but that is it. Here's the deal. You may be thinking, I can't do that though because these emergencies happen. Let me tell you something. If it's a real emergency, they should call 911, not email you. Stop letting other people's emergencies become your emergencies. We train our students that we will solve their problems at 8 p.m. if we respond to their emails at 8 p.m. Instead, let's train our students to be problem solvers themselves. So at 8 p.m., when they can't remember the due date of their project, rather than immediately relying on you to respond to them while you're watching TV with your significant other, they say, let me go check the online gradebook. Let me go see if I wrote this down in my agenda. And they will find the solution themselves. But we have to give them the opportunity to learn that you're not going to find these solutions for them. So they need to do it themselves. You will also be amazed at how much time you will reclaim in your school day when you get out of your inbox, let alone not even just time, the mental energy you can conserve by not being in your inbox all day. So turn off those notifications, those pop-ups and dings. You know what I'm talking about. You'll be lecturing and you'll see pop-up in the bottom right-hand corner, you know, the little slide-in thing that says you got an email from so-and-so. Turn those off. Delete the learning management system app and delete the Gmail app off of your phone. I know you're thinking it's impossible. Everyone thinks that at first. I thought this at first. My husband begged me for years to do this and I just told him it was impossible. I was too important. And then I learned, you know what? It's because I put myself in that position to make myself that way that people were constantly needing me. And when I started training them that I was not gonna be available, they stopped expecting me to be. I beg you to give it a try. Just do this. Why don't you just try the first month of school to only check your email once a day and see what happens? 
see how others adjust, see if there are any true emergencies that you miss out on, you know, fires you miss out on saving, and just see what happens. It would bring me so much joy if you would do this experiment and then reach out and let me know in September how it has gone because I really think it will make such a big difference for you and for simplifying your life in and out of the classroom. Okay, so I want you to avoid the mistake of not doing a bell ringer. I want you to avoid the mistake of checking your email multiple times a day and starting that bad habit. And then the other mistake I want you to avoid is not having set tutoring hours. Okay, so in my first years of teaching, I did not set tutoring hours. And so because of this, two things inevitably happened. One was students, honestly, they just didn't ask me for much help because they didn't know that help was readily available. And that left those students feeling defeated when they were confused or they felt behind because they just weren't asking for help because they didn't think they could. And then the other thing that happened was students who were desperate for help would just show up unannounced throughout the day and that would throw me off. So I would get to school and there'd be someone sitting outside my doorway and I was planning to check my email or make my copies or whatever. And I would feel super frustrated by their presence, but it wasn't their fault. It was my fault because I didn't provide a time for them to come. They were having to make a time for themselves. And it felt like such an inconvenience and a disruption and an interruption for me. But again, It was my fault because I didn't create the space for them to come. And so then they were bopping in during my lunch period or they were finding me in the copy room after school asking me a question and I was feeling exasperated and they did not deserve that from me. So I'm owning, this was 100% my fault. I want you to be able to enjoy your 20 minutes of peace and quiet at lunch if that's the time that you're just gonna sit and breathe. Or I want you to be able to get those emails done before school if that's the one time you're gonna check your email. And in order to do that without interruptions, we need to set tutoring hours. So I did not come up with this on my own. In my third year of teaching, I switched schools and my school had set school tutoring hours from three to three 30 every day. So the school day ended at three and every teacher was expected to stay in their classroom until three 30 to be available to students. No going to make copies, no skipping out early for a doctor's appointment meetings, even like our faculty meetings, they could not start until after three 30. When I ran student council, we could not have a student council meeting until after 3.30. Sports practices were not allowed to start until after 3.30. And this made it possible for every student to have the opportunity to receive extra help if they needed it. And this was so good for me to have my school set these hours for me at the beginning of the year because it was something that I don't know if I would have ever done it on my own. And it was something that I ended up keeping up long after it was a requirement for me to do so. So I had a sign on my whiteboard for the tutoring hours and I daily encourage students, come see me. If you need help, come. I am here. And if students did show up, it wasn't a nuisance at all because I had blocked out that time. I was ready every day for that 30 minutes to support them in that time. And it helped too, because then if a student did come by in the morning or before lunch, I could guiltlessly tell them I wasn't available, but I would be thrilled to help them during my set tutoring hours from 3 to 3.30. This made it so much easier for me personally to block off my time to accomplish all my non-teaching tasks and still only work 40 hours a week. Because I could say, this is when I'm going to check email, this is when I'm going to grade, and this is when I'm going to help students. And it's the same every day. It was also much easier for my students and for their parents because the time was consistent. 
So even if afternoons were a hard time for them, like they had to catch the bus and the bus left before 30, it was easier for students to schedule an alternative ride when they knew that I would be there during that time every day, no matter what. So if they needed to get a ride one Thursday randomly so they could stay, they knew like, I don't need to go back and double check with Miss Joyner that she'll be there or whatever. They knew I was going to be there. So all they had to do was find that extra ride or whatever it may be. And guess what? Sometimes I had no students come and then I just got this bonus gift of an extra 30 minutes to lab prep or grade or lesson plan. And that was such a surprise for me and it was a delight and it helped me get even further ahead of where I expected to be. But setting the expectation for myself and my students that I was going to be available from 3 to 3.30 for them, it just freed me up to really serve them well and to have patience for them, which is something that I'm honestly not great at. And it's something I'm always working on. So if that resonates with you at all, I really encourage you to make some set tutoring hours this year and stick to them. You can switch it up to whatever's best for you. You could do like two days that you have the morning two days that you do lunch and one day you do after school, you know, whatever's best for you. I will say, I think it's simplest if you just pick the same time every day, but I know that's not a luxury that everyone has the flexibility to do that. So maybe you need to switch it up. And if you switch it up, just make a schedule and keep it on your whiteboard. Monday, Wednesday, Fridays, you come 30 minutes early and you're there to help. Tuesday, Thursdays, you stay 30 minutes late and you're there to help. Whatever is best for you, but set those hours. All right, two more. I know this is a longer episode, but I'm just so passionate about having helping you all start your year strong and avoid these mistakes that I made. Okay, so the other mistake I want you to avoid is starting the year grading everything. When I was a first-year teacher, I collected and graded every single thing my students did. I was convinced that my students would never try hard for me or do their work at all if they weren't getting a grade for it. And this left me so drained and it left me completely overworked. It is impossible, I think, from my experience, to work 40 hours a week only if you're collecting and grading everything that you give your students. And I want you all listening to only work 40 hours a week. I think for me too, if you use any of my curriculum, you know, I like to do like 15 minutes of lecture and then we do an activity and then another 10 minutes of lecture and then we do an activity. So we're doing so many activities and practices a day that if I was grading all those tools that I use as instructional resources, I would never do anything but grade outside of school hours. But there is a different life that you can have. Okay, so what do you do? From the very beginning of the school year, set the tone, train your students that you are not going to grade everything. Let them know from day one that every single thing they do will not be collected and graded. Teach them that the instructional resources that you utilize are to encourage learning the material, not simply rewarding the points for every single thing they complete. Let's not train our students that they'll always be getting a grade for this. I know if you're like me, you know your students are always like, are we getting a grade for this? Let's start from the beginning by training them to be more intrinsically motivated rather than extrinsically. So we tell them, you need to do this because this is how you're going to learn this material. Sometimes I don't even tell them if I'm going to collect it and grade it or not, because I don't want them to be making their effort dependent on whether or not I'm collecting or grading. I just want you to do your best every time. That's all I want. So if you're not sure where to begin to break this habit of grading everything, because you're just so used to grading everything all the time. I'm going to link link a blog post in the show notes all about how to start decreasing your grading time and just how to stop grading everything. I'll give you more specifics there because this is something I really, really want for all of you this school year is to stop grading everything. 
And last but not least, it has to do with conflict. A mistake I made at the beginning of the year for several school years was that I would start the year off by minimizing student issues and conflicts. And here's why. I wouldn't say that I am an avoider of conflict, like I'm not afraid of conflict, but I definitely do not seek it out. I basically stopped watching TV this last year because I just didn't need any like artificial drama in my life because there was plenty of just normal everyday drama and conflict in my life. So that's why I just like don't even watch TV anymore. Okay, so that's kind of my personal feelings about conflict and conflict resolution. And so here's what I did my first few years in the classroom. When I had a conflict or maybe like an issue arose with a student, this could be anything from maybe they did something that felt a little disrespectful or, you know, it could be something like, oh, they didn't turn in these two assignments or I told them I wasn't going to grade this and they didn't do it. Any of those types of things that could be an issue. I was always afraid that I was going to be making a mountain out of a molehill. I wanted to give people the benefit of the doubt and I didn't want to blow an issue out of proportion. So I basically would just brush it under the rug. I thought that I was giving students grace when I minimized these issues that arose early on, when in actuality, I was cultivating a classroom culture of avoidance, and that did not serve my students well. I was afraid, honestly, of being proactive about potential conflicts. So instead, I would wait to see what happened. Like, oh, was this just an off day or is this a habit? And when I would wait, those molehills they really did become mountains. They became bigger issues. And at that point, the issue would get so big that both my students and I, we had preconceived notions and emotions towards each other. And it made the situation so much more charged than it needed to be. It caused me to be a reactive teacher rather than a proactive one. And it wasn't until I taught a coworker's son and she called me out for this. You know, I knew that I had this, I loved this coworker. She was older than me, much more experienced, much better educator. I respected her so much. And so at the beginning of the year, when I started having some conflicts with her, her son, he was kind of one of those kids that liked getting a lot of attention in the classroom. You know, the ones, if I would put a label on it, I would probably call him a little bit of a punk, but he never did anything like really that was that bad or that big of a deal or that like outwardly disrespectful, but he was always just a punk. That's the best way I can say it. Just like a little bit like pushing my buttons and causing small issues. But I brushed it aside and brushed it aside because I knew his mom and I respected her and I didn't want to, again, I didn't want to make a mountain out of a molehill. But by November, it got to the point that it was some some deep-seated disrespect issues that we were having. And it was causing me to have issues managing the entire class because he was kind of a rallying point. And when I reached out to his mom, she was so frustrated She was like, Rebecca, why didn't you tell me this from day one? I could have like disciplined him and done her thing and managed it as a parent. She's like, I want to know these things. And so she really opened my eyes to the fact that, and I thought about it now that I have my own children. I, If my children were having any issues with the teacher or in a class, I would want to know from the very beginning before it became a big deal. And so don't make the same mistake that I did. Nip issues in the bud before they even become issues. So meet the student where they are and acknowledge the issue early before it becomes this big emotional thing and come up with a solution. It makes it so much less stressful to talk to the student or talk to the parent or guardian when it is a more casual thing and it hasn't become a big deal yet. Go ahead and say, hey, I want to be preventative about this becoming a problem between us. Let's come up with a solution so that this isn't a problem. 
Or, hey, I've noticed that you don't even try on any of the assignments that I'm not collecting. That's not cool with me. So let's figure something out. What do I need to do? What do we need to do together so that you'll start doing this work? Because I don't want to do this all year and be nagging you. I don't want to be on your back all year long. And I know you don't want me on your back. So let's talk through what we can do. Share your heart with the student and or with the parent that you're trying to do this early on at the beginning of the year so it doesn't affect your relationship with the student and their experience in your classroom for the rest of the year. I really, really want to encourage you just to reevaluate how you handle communication with their parents in general too. And I'll link a blog post about this as well. I really just want to encourage you. It really transforms the, how the rest of your school year goes if issues get proactively addressed from the very beginning of the school year rather than minimized. So don't make the same mistake as me. Don't minimize issues and brush them off at the beginning of the year because you're telling yourself you're being gracious. It's actually not serving your students to do that. It serves them to attack it head on. Attack feels like a negative word, but deal with it head on before it becomes a big thing and it becomes a much bigger deal than it has to be. Learn from my mistakes, teacher friends. I just want everyone to not make these same five mistakes that I did. I want you to avoid doing these things at the beginning of the year because then I really feel like the rest of the year will be so much smoother for you and so much more simplified. Will you give it a try? If you do, DM me and let me know because I love hearing from you guys and I love hearing how you take these episodes and put them into action. So thank you for listening to today's episode. And remember, you can always find any of these links and these supplemental blog posts that I mentioned. They are all in the show notes. And you can find those at itsnotrocketscienceclassroom.com slash episode 33. And don't forget, enter the giveaway in honor of our 10,000 downloads of the Secondary Science Simplify podcast. So remember, you could win a $100 gift card to the It's Not Rocket Science resource shop and an It's Not Rocket Science Arctic mug. So all you have to do to enter is share about your favorite Secondary Science Simplified episode thus far on Instagram and make sure to tag me so that I can see your entry. And I'll randomly select a winner on August 15th to send all the goodies to you. All right, teacher friends, that wraps up today's episode. If you're looking for an easy way to start simplifying your life as a secondary science teacher, head to itsnotrocketscienceclassroom.com slash challenge to grab your classroom reset challenge. And guess what? It's totally free. Thanks so much for tuning in and I'll see you here next week. Until then, I'll be rooting for you, teacher friend.